Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So this week, we're going to talk about a learning loop topic. And Jeffrey, we only have five minutes. Do you think we can do it? Ooh, I think we can. Great. Then here we go. Okay, Jeffrey, so we got five minutes. Basic learning loops. What are they? Daily loop. How do we do it? Okay, so the daily loop is something that you can do uh, with a team and you can do it individually. And it's basically about starting your day with a plan and then checking in at the end of the day and see how things went. Sounds easy. Doesn't everybody do that? <laughs> you know, surprisingly, no. Um, I think it's very common for people to, to not do this in various ways. Uh, one way is you can have the form of it, but without the learning. So this is when we talk about people, when I come across people who are um, unhappy about their stand-ups, often it's because their stand-up isn't have any sort of learning focus. It's just a discussion of what people uh, have done. Uh, and there's no real uh, focus on it. If your stand-up is boring, don't do it that way. Do something different. <laughs> right. Your stand-up should never, ever be boring. That's right. You should be energized. And part of what makes it energizing is that we're going to focus and in, in the conversation. And the, the idea that, that finds exciting to me is, you know, what is it that we plan to do? And then at the end of the day, I like to end with a daily demo of this is what we did. And how did that go compared to what we expected. And these things continue to lead in. Then the next day, you can say, well, given what we learned yesterday, here's what we are going to do differently today. That's the key part is what are you going to change? That's the learning. The dynamic element here, because it's the dynamic uh, uh, driving rhythm of it that makes it so exciting. And I'll say this is at a team level, but it works individually as well. If I go and say, here's what I'm planning to try today. Here's the thing I'm going to experiment with. Let's go see how the day goes. At the end, how did it work versus what I predicted? Hey, Jeffrey, we could try doing five-minute podcasts, and we'll see what we think about it. <laughs> that's right. And first of all, can we keep, can we stick to five minutes? Because that, that's the, not our normal length. And, and, and we have this prediction, and then we can go and say, right, well, how was that? How was that? How did that go? And I, this is a pattern I use with people I coach all the time, saying, well, this is what you're going to try. Then look back and see what happened. And it can be something as basic as, you know, were you able to spend uh, uh, the time you wanted to on the day on your most important item? Did you did you have that focus on what you said was the most important thing? And if not, can you do better tomorrow? And every day is like that. Can I can I improve on the previous day? Yeah. Do I have to aim for perfection? I mean, Jeffrey, if I don't accomplish all the things I write down, if we don't do everything that's in the stand-up, do, do we just quit and give up and it didn't work? <laughs> no, not at all. The, the goal here is about learning, not perfection. It's about the journey, not where you arrive. So this is something that you're, you're looking to always improve. Perfection is not the goal. I'm so cloud, proud of my coaching clients when they go and try some difficult homework and they say, I'm going to do that this afternoon. And then they phone me the next day and say, I tried it and it was a terrible disaster because that <laughs> means they actually tried it. The ones who are painful, the ones who don't make as much progress are the ones who come back a week later and say, uh, I couldn't get up the courage to try it. And that's right. The, the learning through doing and the imperfection is the path to improvement. Excellent. Go forth and be imperfect. Okay, weekly planning, Jeffrey. Last time we talked about daily planning. What's weekly planning? So weekly planning, again, this is a common cadence, and it's also something that can apply both individually and as a team level. This is something that people are probably most familiar with from Scrum, and if you do a weekly sprint, then what you have is the, the ritual of the weekly planning meeting. 
Oh, and, and you have the grooming, and then you have the preparation for the grooming that actually comes before that, and then you have the pre-preparation grooming. Is, is that part of it? <laughs> that's that. That's not the part I'm going to focus on. And 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 what you described sounded fairly horrific. So, which is why we're this is not about scrum per se, but it's about giving yourself a, a, a cadence to say what are what are we planning to do this week? What what do we expect to get done? And for me, <clears throat> I don't know why, but a one week has always been a very natural. Uh, planning horizon when it comes to software. In fact, I've kind of had a rule that the things that we think we can get done in a week, we're pretty good in our estimates. You know, if it's if it's a week or less, we're pretty good. Any estimate that's longer than a week, I have found to be entirely unreliable. <laughs> and you know, so, I had somebody ask me a wonderful question um, when I was trying to plan for three uh, months at a time, a whole quarter. He said, uh -huh. are, uh, what are you going to have for dinner three months from now? I said, I have no clue. I don't know where I'll be. What do you mean? And he said, what are you going to have for dinner next Tuesday? And I said, well, it's probably either going to be this or that because I know what's in the kitchen. It's the same thing. Right. You have a, so much more information. You can make such a better prediction. That's right. So, th so the weekly planning, I like it to be sharp enough that we can to be falsifiable. And this is a key idea is like, what do we actually expect to get done this week? That at the end of the week we can know did we make it yes or no, you know, and and that's the the key here. This thing is the main discipline is to be uh, precise enough that you can look back at the week and say, yep, we did it or no, we didn't. And that precision really helps with the focus day to day throughout the week. Because remember, this is what we're trying to get done. Are we on track to trying to get done? And the the weekly planning is where you all assess like. What are the variables this week that matter? Oh, don't forget, you know, that we have that conference we're going to on Thursday afternoon. Oh, don't forget this person's out on Wednesday. Oh, I have a dentist appointment. So, oh yeah, let's let's factor all that in. Given what we know, we think this is realistic. This is what we we think we can get done as long as we're focused and disciplined and and given what we know tends to happen here. And and are we aiming for perfection here? Are we looking to actually accomplish everything on the list? Hint, no. <laughs> no, these are learning loops, not perfection loops. <laughs> if it was perfect, then you would stop, right? Okay, well, that was perfect. We'll probably never do that again, <laughs> unless uh, that's my experience anyway. It's you're always looking to say, here's the the best estimate we can make given what we know today, and the gap between what we expected and what we accomplished is where the learning happens. And and surprise, sometimes things go better than we anticipated. Things take less time. That's allowed. And you can say, well, that's great. What happened that allowed us to be faster this week? And how can we do more of it next time? So it's not just about things going badly, but it's also sometimes things go well and learning from that too. Wonderful. All right, squirrel. Today's topic is elephant carpaccio. What is it and how is it a learning loop? Well, so the most important thing to understand here is what is carpaccio? Now, this is hard for me as a vegetarian to come up with, but uh, Jeffrey, you're, you're a meditarian. Uh, do you know what carpaccio <laughs> is? It's, it's thinly sliced beef. Yeah, so thin that you can see through it. And that's the crucial idea is that you can take your elephant, that's your giant project, whatever it is that you're working on, and you can slice it into pieces that are thinner than you thought that you could imagine. Um, and so I usually try to blow people's minds by saying you can do this uh, once a day. So you could release new pieces of software that allow you to learn, that test a hypothesis, that move you forward once a day. 
Uh, but I can do more than that today because I had a client who told me that they moved from releasing maybe once a, a month or once a week, I don't remember, uh, to releasing five times a day. Uh, and it's actually blowing their minds that they're actually having trouble adjusting to it. But I said, this is good. This is the right kind of learning to have. Uh, how can you keep that pace up? And what can you adjust to make that happen? So part of the trick is to expand your horizons, expand what you're imagining to uh, what could you learn quickly from your customers. If you were releasing five times a day or once a day, uh, what, what opportunities would that create for you? And then you can wonder, well, gosh, what are the skills I need to accomplish that? I don't think we're going to teach that to you here in this session, but we can at least blow your minds a bit and suggest what could you do if you got there? And just to blow your mind even a little bit more, I, I had a client uh, some years ago who was in biotech. So um, when they would do um, the, the the when their software would run, it would give people results that might cause them to cut off parts of their bodies. So it was kind of important the results that they were <laughs> no. coming up with really mattered, right? You didn't want to get it wrong. And so they said, yeah, we release every six months because we have to do our, all our quality checks. The quality people tell us we have to do this. We can't learn that quickly. The salespeople, of course, were, were um, uh, absolutely uh, uh, beside themselves. They, they couldn't get the, the, the progress they needed. We, we got to every two weeks, which was just as mind-blowing as to some of our listeners five times a day might be. In the biotech world, this was absolutely nuts. It was something you couldn't imagine. But the results were amazing. And it turned out that some of the barriers they thought were there were not. The regulators the quality assurance people said, uh, this would be wonderful. We'd love to do smaller things as long as you document carefully what they are. So the trick here is to get to a very tight loop, uh, the more than you can imagine, and make sure you have a clear hypothesis that you're testing. The opportunities are, are tremendous. And one, one point here I'd like to test with you is about who is involved. Because I know Alistair Coburn, who coined the phrase elephant carpaccio, sometimes he said that the, the problem is if you have teams where it's just the developer saying, well, tell us what to do, and they're asking the PM to slice things up. Like they don't always know the right way to slice it. So who's involved in, in determining the slices? Is this just coming from the business and everyone else just says, okay, fine, no, we'll no. do it? No, that, that certainly wouldn't work. So what you want is a joint design process, something where uh, the um, people who are knowledgeable about how the business works, in, in my example there, in biotech, you'd want to people who understand what are the testing materials, what is the um, uh, bio, biological input that's going to come in that we're going to be testing, as well as the uh, engineers who know how to run exactly the right script at exactly the right time and uh, how that can be adjusted and improved. So uh, you want a joint process there. All right, and that's that's a, a software version of Carpaccio. So, Squirrel, tell us about walking the board. So, this is a technique that uh, we kind of builds on something we talked about in an earlier short. This is a method that you use in your stand-up. And it's a way of making really, uh, uh, really making sure that there's learning happening in your standup. Because I don't know if you've been in this kind of standup, Jeffrey, uh, where the first person says, "What I worked on yesterday was," and finishes the sentence, and the next person says, "What I worked on yesterday was," and the finishes, <laughs> and everyone else is going to sleep or staring at their shoes. And if you're having a stand-up like that, you're bored in that stand-up. There's no learning happening because what's happening is outbound information, no inbound information. And uh, walking the board is one of many ways that you can break that up. And if you want to create a learning loop in your stand-up, try this. 
uh, have the board attend the stand-up. What do I mean by the board? Well, typically somebody uses something, I hate to say the word JIRA, um, there are many other options. Somebody was using something called Height the other day, I don't know what they're all called. But whatever it is, if it's a spreadsheet, if it's a, a, a gosh, a, a revolutionary idea, a you wall. might put, yeah, cards <laughs> on a wall, that would be a crazy idea. Wherever it is, you take uh, that list of tasks, and it's the attendee, and it drives. So we start with the first item, Typically, ideally, that would be the most important item that we'd have them ranked, uh, the, uh, the first one in the being worked on column, whatever you call that. And uh, we say, who's working on this? What's happening with it? What's stopping us? Sorry, the dog's excited. Look at that. Um, what's <laughs> happening? What's going to keep us moving on this particular task? And the dog says, well, if I can go outside and bark, we'll make more progress. And Jeffrey says, uh, well, actually, I'm stuck on the front end. I don't know what the API is for the back end. The back end person says, well, I don't have any information about uh, how this field should be formatted. And the product manager says, I can get that for you. But wait a minute, you had lots of different people talking here. It's not just one person talking exactly. about what they did. <laughs> Welcome to the chaos, but the the, the, the um, uh, interaction, just like my dog is busy barking at all the other dogs in the neighborhood, that's an interactive process. You're, we're going to learn things by having more uh, discussion going back and forth. And what we won't have is everybody staring at their shoes. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're letting the board drive is what it sounds like. So the board attends and the board drives. It sets the, the pace. And then we have the chance to, to learn from each other. Exactly. Because when you're done with the first one and you've finished learning from the first one, you go to the second one and the third one and the fourth, whatever is currently being worked on. If you have 100 things being worked on at the same time, that's a different problem. We should talk about that another time. But if you have a reasonable oh, number... It's a good way, a good way to learn about it. <laughs> if you, you might learn that way. <laughs> you, it would. Like, hey, wait, we're out of time for the stand-up, but we're only on number five. Um, so uh, that would be a very useful thing to learn uh, uh, about uh, in your stand-up from the board. And uh, that's the key thing is the board is an attendee. The board is part of your stand-up. The board is where you learn. All right. Love it. Right, Jeffrey. So we're talking about learning loops. And one of the ones that people are wondering probably why we haven't talked about yet is retrospectives. How do you use a retrospective? What's it for? How do you learn from it? Yeah, retrospectives are so interesting because they went from in the early days of Agile being one of the stars of the show. I remember uh, Alistair Coburn once said, like, if, if you had nothing but retrospectives, you could derive all the rest to today where retrospectives are probably one of the most maligned parts of Agile process that I hear. People find that the, the, their retrospectives are are boring, dull, lifeless. And, and what's the what's the gap between the two? And, and hint, the question is, are you using it as a learning loop? Alistair's whole claim was that if you're using retrospectives correctly, you could learn everything there is to know about Agile. You could rederive it all yourself from your own experiences. And how do you do that? Well, you might have gotten already that, that you have a lot of these learning loops are, are the form of there's a prediction, and then there's you take action, and then you reflect back on how things went from between what you predicted and what actually happened. Now, if you look at what happens in a lot of retrospectives, people come in and instead of doing that, instead of having that format, what did we what did we predict and what happened? Instead, they're saying, well, how do we feel about what happened? You know, who wants to put cards on the board? Maybe they're red, blue, green. It depends how different formats. So wait, Jeffrey, wait a minute. So so you're saying in a retrospective, we would talk about the previous retrospective? That's right, because the point is the previous retrospective, we we came up with some changes. Because we said, oh, there's something that's not going as well as it could. There's something we should start doing or stop doing or do more of. 
It's like, great, that we, we, we defined an experiment in the retrospective, and then we ran the experiment in the time between retrospectives. So we come into our new retrospective, and the first order of business is, well, how did that work out? Those things that we tried, what actually happened? What was our experience? And this is our opportunity for learning. There's a, there's a phrase that says, there's no action without learning, there's no learning without action. But actually, there's no action without the potential for learning, the possibility for learning. And we give ourselves that possibility when we take that moment to reflect back and say, how did this go versus our prediction? We made this change for a reason. Did we achieve what we wanted to, or did we not? So you're describing a situation where there's an output from the previous retrospective, and then we do something without output, and then we feed it in as input to the next retrospective. That sounds like a learning loop, because we're going to have <laughs> information passing around a loop. This sounds very valuable. Why don't people do more of that? I, I think it's a, it's a question about what a retrospective is. And the idea, the focus on learning, I think, is something that's been lost. And a lot of people think of a retrospective as, as merely we're looking back on a period of time. We're looking back over this time period, and they think of only the time period back to the to the retro, previous retrospective, but they don't think of it extending to the output of the retrospective. So it, it, as a result, there's not this same idea of, are we holding ourselves accountable for the decision we made last time? We're, we're just sort of only reacting in an unstructured way to what our experience has been, as opposed to, there's a structure to this. Did we Are we getting the payoffs? Are we learning? Are we getting better? To me, that's that's where the real power and, and excitement of retrospective is, is the idea of continuous improvement. We should have the feeling of like, yes, we're getting better. Yes, these changes, these things we discuss, we, we come in and we solve problems together. We come up with solutions. We try them. We run these experiments. And we have this sense of momentum that's building. That's exciting and energizing. And that's what retrospectives can give you if you have that focus on learning. So I sense a theme it's coming through all of our learning loop discussions this summer, and that is if you're bored in whatever process you're following, whatever is supposed to be a loop but isn't, that's a signal that your loop is broken. So try to create more excitement. <laughs> right. How can you get more excitement? Create a narrative, something that's happening over and over again, some sense of movement, and that's exactly what we're describing here with a retrospective that has an input from the last retrospective's output. Exactly. Okay, we're looking at OKRs today. That's our learning loop. Jeffrey, what's an OKR? What's it stand for? Uh, why don't people use them, and why do they find them boring when they do? Okay, uh, OKRs stand for objectives and key results. They become fairly popular. Um, a lot of people are are doing them in the sense that they have a process where they use the letters O K and R. However, a lot of times it, it doesn't do much to reflect the actual uh, uh, goals of OKRs. Now, a lot of focus in OKRs are actually on the execution and alignment aspects of the objectives. How do we how do we know what it is that we're all going to be trying to achieve? And there's value in that. But I think people, again, miss the potential and the real power of OKRs, which is, is a longer phase learning loop. So we, we're talking about here throughout this series about loops, but we end up with loops within loops. And OKRs are a natural large scale uh, learning loop of over this whole project, over this whole quarter, we've set an objective. We defined what success would mean. That's what key results are, right? They're, they're your prediction that you're making at the start of the quarter saying, we believe if we were to, to achieve these things that we can measure, that we would have achieved our objective. It's a prediction that you're making. And, and Jeffrey, let me check. 
But when mm-hmm. you're describing a prediction, that's a prediction about something uncertain. So uh, I always <laughs> say that if somebody's OKRs are so clear that they d- dictate exactly what someone is going to do on the uh, fourth hour of the 17th day of the quarter or something like that, they're, they're doing it wrong. Do you agree with me or do you see it differently? I agree completely. This is OKRs are not supposed to be recipes. The, the idea is that you're you're it, it, you're deciding what success means. So it's sort of like you said, you know, the cake should be light and fluffy at the end. It's not telling you the steps to make. Now it could be you, you've never made cake before. You don't know what you, what you're going to do to make it light and fluffy. But that's your goal is to is to learn during the quarter. You're saying like we think we can achieve light and fluffy cake. We don't know how we're going to do it yet, <laughs> but we think it's possible. And at the end. We're gonna gonna look and say, did we achieve light and fluffy cake? Uh, but it's not. It's, so it's not a recipe. Our smaller loops throughout the quarter should help us to determine whether we're on track for light and fluffy cake or improved conversion rate or whatever it is that we're trying to produce. And so they should be. That's there right. should be this nice interaction between the uh, shorter learning loops we've been talking about all summer and this larger final learning loop of the OKR. That, that's right. And in, in some of our previous episodes, we've talked about the big arrow. They do. We have a bunch of energy going out to try to move us in, in a direction. And the big arrow is the one that, that gives uh, the, the, the bounding context for all the other little arrows, all the other efforts. The OKR, the thing is like, this is the big theme. This is the, with the big goal. So anything that you do in the quarter, it should be aligned with this. And so it's a, it's a combination of uh, not just prediction, but also prioritization. This is what we value. This is the outcome we value. We don't know exactly how we're going to get there, but this is what we're we're looking to to achieve. But we and we have a prediction, and this is the key part again. Coming back, we have a prediction of what what success would look like and what it would mean. And then at the end of the OKR, you score it. This is part of the process. And a lot of times, people think about the scoring as the point. Like our goal is to get 100. percent We want it, we want to get it to a point that we want to make the OKR go green. Well, there's value in that, but it, the, 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 the real value of the OKRs come beyond that when you say, great, what did we learn in the process? If we, if we succeeded and we went green, why? What, what did we do? What did we learn in the process? And if we failed, if we didn't achieve uh, our objectives or uh, we didn't receive our, our key results, why not? What obstacles came up? How will this in, in, impact our planning in the future? Because then you go in the next cycle of OKRs. And that next cycle of OKRs should bring forward the lessons that we've just learned. We just paid for the quarter to learn a lot. How are we going to use that investment in the coming quarter? And I think OKRs looked at from this perspective of, of this, this is a prediction, and we're going to run an experiment for the quarter, and we're going to learn from the result, whether we succeeded or failed, and it's going to influence our next set of OKRs. It really changes people's relationship to OKRs, as opposed to how a lot of people treat it, which is like, this is the plan. You're going to do these things and we're going to grade you at the end. Did you do what we told you to do? That's not the way to approach OKRs. Well, if listeners enjoyed that learning loop topic, then they can go learn more about it at agileconversations.com. And if you didn't agree with us and you want to argue, you can do that at agileconversations.com too, because you can find videos and free materials in our mailing list, but also our Twitter, our email, everything else to find us and get in touch with us. And if you're interested in another exciting, punchy, fast topic, come on back next week for another edition of Troubleshooting Agile. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Squirrel.